Randy Lewis was a successful executive at a major American company whose purpose in life was transformed after his son was diagnosed with autism. As soon as you get the diagnosis, you're thinking about a job. Job changes everything. Friends, relationships, security. What are we going to do? If he doesn't have a job, can I save enough money? Can I live long enough? Those are the issues. And I would go into those uh, special ed programs, the early ones, and I'd look around and go, gosh, these other parents, what are they doing? I was thinking, gee whiz, at Walgreens, we got 200,000 employees. A lot of those are hourly wages. Certainly, they have all these issues too. What are they doing? And I'm sitting there laying in bed. I'm this executive, and I can't sleep. What are they doing? And who's going to do something about it? If Walgreens couldn't do something about it, a successful company, which company would? And then worse, here I am, ahead of this division, with hiring a thousand people a year and growing, and I'm in charge of it all. If I don't do something, who will? Welcome to Stay and Fight, a podcast about extraordinary Illinoisans who have made profound impacts in their communities and who, despite all the issues in this state, are dedicated to staying here and fighting for its future. I'm Matt Paprocki, president of the Illinois Policy Institute. And on today's episode, we bring you Randy Lewis. Randy led the billion dollar logistics division at Walgreens and helped grow the company from 1,500 stores to 8,000 during his tenure. His son, Austin, inspired him to bet his career that he could create an inclusive workplace in one of America's largest corporations, creating thousands of full-time jobs for people with disabilities and making it a business model that's been replicated by many other great American companies. Randy chronicled his story in his book, No Greatness Without Goodness. Today, Randy and I take a deep dive into the book and inside the life of a man who's done more for the disability community than anyone I know. Let's dive in. Born in Texas, Randy and his wife Kay made their way to Illinois for work. They fell in love with their new home. They made great friends, were active in their church, and Randy became the head of supply and logistics at Walgreens. Their life was going as planned, and the next step was children. We had a daughter, and Austin came two years later. And we thought, well, this is perfect. Got a girl and got a boy. Everything was all set. And, uh, and I do remember when Kay was pregnant with, with both children, we were wondering, saying, gee whiz, what could go wrong? You know, parents are anxious that first time around. Say, so what could be the worst thing that could happen? You know, maybe have downs or something, or, you know, some problem like that. And we thought at the time, say, well, I think the worst would be autism. Because at the time, nobody knew anything about it. Anything it had been portrayed on TV was really scary. So, but we kind of set aside. This beautiful boy comes out of the, of the womb, uh, quiet, looks around. He would put himself to sleep. He, he was only... He'd crawl in bed when he was tired. Everything was cool, but he didn't really talk until he would. He wasn't talking. And he got got around two, and then three. He was using maybe a word or here. 
which was slowed, grandparents started thinking, well, you know, there's something wrong. And we're, we're thinking, well, he's a boy. So we had him examined. So, okay, let's get him off our back. We took him to get him tested. And the doctor told us, took us in the uh, office. And I remember telling Kay before we, going, we went in, he's going to tell us he's delayed. Boys are like that. Well, he didn't say that. He said, uh, when he asked the scores, he said, well, we couldn't test him. He couldn't get to the level to even test him. And that diagnosis became autism. And uh, I said, well, will it get better? And he said, it might get worse. And that's when the bottom dropped out. And Kay is just crushed. I am stunned. So we're walking out to the car. And Kay is crying. And we get in the car, and it's quiet, except I'm looking straight ahead. Kay is sitting in the seat, just breaking down. And, and she says... How can the sun even shine today? And I'm thinking, and I don't know where this came from, but I said, look, if this is going to happen to somebody, and it does happen, things happen, who better prepared in a better position to deal with it than us? We have this relationship. We have we have another child. We have we have a steady job. We got great insurance. We have faith. Who in the world, if Austin were born to anybody, who better than us? And we don't know how this is going to turn out. Let's just go forward. That's all we got to do. That's all that God calls upon us to do is to deal with what we got today. And Kay is a person of great faith. And, and people say, and I say, boy, those, those Lewises, those are, those are good Christian people. I say, no, Kay is that good Christian people. I'm just kind of her sidekick on this. And so, but that, that was true. It all came home, everything that we had prepared for that moment who better than us who would we want to have an Austin than us and it helped us go through he didn't speak until he was 10 he'd have a word here or there now today and we were able to find great help for him Immediately, three from age three on, started in the school system all the way through, with the and also some folks who knew about autism. He didn't speak till age ten, but if you speak to him today, you will think he's making up for lost time. And we had lots of people help us along the way, great teachers, patient neighbors, patient people in the church. When he would say something aloud. Nobody would complain.
because they know what I would probably say. <laughs> but no, we had a world of support around us, and people will do that. We tend to forget that. We underestimate the the, the kindness of people when they, when they see him. When they saw him misbehave, some people would think he's being a brat, but other people would come up to Kay and say, can I help? They would see the disability, not the bad behavior. They were, we were so many strangers that helped us. This, was, this made us better. It's made me a better father, it's made me a better man, it's made me a better executive. One thing that Austin taught me was patience. And a lot, and a lot of people, children with disabilities will say that too. Because not having patience doesn't work. You know, we all blow up. You know, they do something, and Austin was easy to blow up because he wouldn't would be responsive, or he would do something because he, he didn't understand it, and you get angry. And I learned not to do that because what would happen? Austin would come in a week later and be crying, and I would figure it out what he was crying about he was remembering me yelling about at him a, a week ago and it, of course I'm no longer mad and it's so shaming that I have hurt him that much and he's carried that that long and I realized that my other girl the girls felt that way too but they had the tr coping skills to hide it to suppress it and not show it. But I'm sure they were just as much damaged and hurt by the by my bad behavior as Austin. Austin didn't have the ability to hide it. And it made me realize that happens in everybody and I need to control. I definitely need to control with Austin because he would punish me. So I had negative reinforcement, but it changed the way I dealt with the girls too. And I'm reminded of that over and over, and it made me think before I spoke. And that's another gift he gives. You say something that really struck me emotionally in this book, and you say it's a prayer that every prayer or every parent with a child with disability asks. To live one day longer than our child, because we know what is waiting out there after we're gone. And that is the absolute truth. I have asked that dozens of times in groups of parents with people with disabilities, and I, almost of the heads nod. That's, that is the truth. Because there is not enough. You worry about, can I make enough? Do I have siblings? Who will take care? Who will love my child as much as I do and take care of those needs when they can't take care of themselves? I don't want my child to be pushing a cart in lower whacker. I don't want him to be shot by a policeman because he thinks he's crazy. I don't want him, all those things that you don't worry about your typically able kids you have a whole new set of worries. And that's probably what weighs the heaviest on during this journey for a parent with a child with a disability. And you, 
you speak on that uh, even with your daughter. So you said uh, when your daughter was, it was one of their last days of high school together. Oh, it broke my heart. So my youngest daughter, who's turned out to be Austin's co-therapist because my wife had to take both of them to the, because she didn't have a babysitter. So when Austin would go as a young boy uh, to the speech therapist, Allison would go along two years younger. So they were kind of like, would hang out together. So Allison's getting ready to graduate from high school. Austin's already in the transition program and uh, going to go away to college. And I tell Allison, I said, Austin's really going to miss you because you're his best friend. And Allison says, no, Dad, I'm not his best friend. I'm his only friend. Because when Austin walks through, when Austin walks through the hall at high school, nobody says anything to him. Everybody just separates and he walks through. And it broke my heart. Would his son not have friends his whole life? Would he be alone? Would he have a job? These questions haunted Randy. And the statistics weren't reassuring. Only 19% of people with a disability are employed. Randy knew something had to be done. Not just for Austin, but for anyone with a disability. If Randy could change how the employers view and treat people with disabilities, maybe he could leave the world better for his son. First of all, did as most executives do, I called everybody in and gave them a darn good speech, hoping that that would inspire them and everything would be fixed. Well, it didn't. Uh, then we, uh, we brought in some people that would bring in groups of people to work and with their own managers and we'd give them uh, non-mission critical work like counting or, or packing things, work what we would call typically for people with disabilities, not knowing anything about disabilities. I shared every bias about people with disabilities with anybody else, so I'm, I wasn't a hero in this story. And we learned a little bit, but we learned that uh, they weren't making the same money and they really weren't us. They were kind of on the part. So we hired a couple of them. I said, but gee whiz, can't we hire? Certainly they've been here. We've seen some people can do the work. Let's. Let's ask for volunteers to be kind of coaches and see if anybody will volunteer and let's pick some people that we think will be successful. And we did, and it was fantastic. How did you deal with the impossibility of this all? I mean, even from that question of saying, we're going to take people with disabilities and we're going to offer them the same pay. And not only that, they're going to have the same benefits. They're going to work alongside with everybody else, right? For anybody leading up to that decision had to have told you, Randy, I love it, but that's impossible. Well, that's what, well, that's what's great about being the boss. Not many of them will tell you that. <laughs> no, but, but we, we, had, we had tried on a small level, so we, 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 it's, it's not like going out and saying, okay, I'm going to invent uh, alchemy. We had tried at small levels, who's going to scale it. And the standard, I remember we had to, People were worried about it, especially those who had to implement it. And it got to be the message we, we were able to put out and make clear is we don't know if this is going to work. 
But the standard is to give it your best shot. Because if it doesn't work, we're going to tell everybody it didn't work and therefore it can't be done anywhere. That's the standard. Give it your best. Everybody will decide what that is. Because some people are not going to be successful. There's going to be failures here and there. But that's all we ask. I remember going into one center and uh, I was asking about this young man named Chuck. And Chuck was had autism. He was kind of, he, he was weird in a way that, and this is what we, parents of a child with autism, we aspire that they become weird. That's above autistic. You know, everybody has a weird uncle, we can relate to that. So we said Chuck had his quirks. And one thing he did, he loved purple totes. Purple totes are, uh, totes are what, plastic totes is how, what we ship merchandise in. We pick it, put it, all the merchandise in, a, in, a, in plastic totes and send it to the stores. And they all have, uh, each building has a different color, but occasionally you get another distribution center's color in your building, and purple was one of those. And we learned that he liked purple because every time one would pass through his area, he would start dancing and letting everybody know about it. Something we had never seen before. And so being a professional company, management got together and went through the process. Is this something that we can tolerate, accommodate? Is this, this behavior appropriate for the work environment? And to their credit, it didn't take them long to get through the process of, well, which would we, how's the work? Work is good, that's good. And uh, when it gets down to it, which would we prefer? Uh, dancing? which is what he would do, or complaining, which a lot of people do. Let's go with the dancing. So that kind of opened up uh, our thinking of what we're about, is making everybody successful, even though they may be weird, with disability or not. That, that really helped open our eyes. And when I talked to those ladies, there were two ladies that had volunteered to work with Chuck, I asked them one time when I was there, I said, we got 500 employees in this building. Has anybody said, made a, a remark about Chuck? And she said, no, but if they do, they're gonna have a problem with us. And that's when I knew that we were on the right track. So the opportunity came to build a new center. We were gonna add new technology. And I thought, let's see if we can just tweak it a little bit. If there's a change we're going to make to the equipment, it's not going to cost anything. Let's think about how we would make it easier for people with disabilities, which turned out to make it easier for everybody. And let's use that same model. A couple of coaches, typically able people for each person with a disability. So that'd be two people without a disability, one person with, one third. And we're going to hire 600 people in here. Let's make it 200 people with disabilities one-third of the entire workforce, something that had never been done. And when we presented it to the board, they said, what if it doesn't work? And uh, I said, well, we try lots of things. We'll treat it like that. If it doesn't work, we'll adjust. And they said, okay. The CEO, when we were start, starting along, he called me in his office and he said, will this work? And I said, well, if it doesn't, you'll never know. He says, okay. 
And then after it was all in, the only thing they said was thank you. The new logistics center would be built in Anderson, South Carolina, a town of 27,000. And when news broke about their radical commitment to make sure that one third of their employees were differently abled, thousands from across the country applied for these jobs. Yeah, we were going to hire 200 people. And it, it made national news. As in the Wall Street Journal, I'm going, my gosh, is the situation so terrible for people with disabilities that building a, a center in a little town in South Carolina is going to hire 200 people with disabilities as national news? It, my gosh, it's terrible. One, one of the persons that heard about it was this woman named Desiree. Desiree has a, a rare muscle condition that sometimes she uses a walker. So she's over in San Diego working at a temp agency. And I get, I get to hear these stories, you know, random. She told me her story one time. And she said, I was working at a temp, as a temp. And I came in one day and I, I had my walker. And the uh, boss said, what's the deal with the walker? And Desiree said, well, I don't need it all the time, but I do need it sometimes. And the boss said, great, come back when you don't. So Desiree moved, packed up, and moved her family, including her legally blind son, Troy, across the country a year before we opened to establish residence in South Carolina. And she and her son, Troy, were among the first employees. Troy is now married to another employee who has a disability, living independently. Desiree is a manager in that building, somebody that we would not have hired had we not been looking because we would have seen that uh, walker. And our policy at the time is you've got to be able to go to all parts of the building, work in all parts of the building. And some people, some places are not accessible with a walker. So we would have passed on Desiree and missed out on her talents. And there's so many people like that that we would have not given a chance because, but it turned out to be the right employee. Well, our best HR person is a woman named Angie. She has cerebral palsy, has difficulty speaking, is ambulatory, but she has what she calls her sexy walk. Great personality straight A's in uh, at Clemson master's program. She had sent out 300 resumes, had 30 interviews and not a single job offer for, before she came to us. And if she had come to us under our typical way of thinking, we wouldn't have hired her either because we would have thought, well, uh, we know Desiree may not been be able to get out with her walker if we'd had a fire. She doesn't walk that fast, what if there's a fire? and maybe some people will have difficulty understanding her and it's loud out there on the floor. Maybe we, let's, let's get, look at the next candidate. The best HR person I've worked with, we would have missed out on her. And there's uh, stories over and over like that. They're going, my gosh, we've, what would we have overlooked had we not done this? Tell me about Daryl Perry. 
Daryl Perry. Yeah, he was one of the first hires. I met him the first time when we were getting ready to open the building. We invited all the parents to come into the building to see it. Uh, because it's a big building they had been preparing for like a year and we were built while we were building a building off-site and all doing all these things and we'll bring them in the building and let them walk through and I remember one evening I happened to be there down in South Carolina and I met his mom and Daryl is this tall 50 something year old obviously a elderly mom they're walking through and Daryl wouldn't talk much and then Probably uh, after we opened about six months later, I was there for because we, we have an open house. Now, in a new building, an open house, we would probably get, we had six, we had three, four hundred people there uh, in the building. We would expect maybe 10% of the people to come. And very few bring their families. We had 90% of the workforce show up with their families at this one. I've never seen an opening and all these people are walking through and I'm out on the floor. I see Daryl there pushing a, a wheelchair with his father in it and his mother's there walking alongside very, very elderly. And I, I walk up to uh, Daryl and say hello to him. He remembers me. And I introduced myself to his dad. And I'm standing up next to his wheelchair and he grabs me and by the arm and pulls me down. And so my head's right next to his, my ear's right next to his head and he says, we can die now. Because Daryl has a place. And it, there was nothing for me to say. And I realized how lucky we were to be able to do this. Yeah. Bigger than just a job. Bigger than just a job. This is why we work. We expanded within four years to a thousand people in all our other centers. Uh, I've had three successors since I've retired. Each one of them has continued it on. And it's now 20% of Walgreens' entire logistics workforce. And it was the best thing we ever did. So we talk a lot about dignity and the dignity of work. And your story of Chuck encapsulates that, right? You said your fear as a, as a father of a child with disabilities is who's going to go protect them? Who's going to be there for them? How are they going to earn a living wage? Your story with Chuck changes that dynamic, right? Because it says, here's these two women who are standing next to him and saying, I'll fight for him, right? I'll protect him. And then you have a company who's saying, we need you, right? Through work, they're, exactly. they're giving that transaction. And they're saying, we need you to be here. That changes everything for somebody like Chuck. And unbeknownst to Chuck, but it changes us too. That was the biggest surprise, how it changed everybody else around it. We, we, we started out, we were gonna help people with disabilities. What we discovered, we, we helped ourselves. There's, there's, something, there, there's something inside of us that gives us the joy of that in making another person successful. Once you see a person that you don't think will be successful, 
and you realize if you put the time into it and understand them as a person, they will be. And oh, by the way, that works with everybody. From the very beginning, Randy intended to give the program away, if they were successful, to other companies. He describes it as calling on their better angels, opening up their logistics center to let other companies see how well the program works and inspire them to adopt it too. Something we had never, ever done before. We would not let any any outsiders come into our, our distribution centers for one of two reasons. I was never sure. One is because we were so advanced or the other reason we were so terrible we didn't want them to know. So that was our tradition. But when I told the story to the 5,000 store managers and talked about it, I remember telling them as we were going to give this away and open the, our centers up even to our competitors because this is bigger than, this is not a strategic advantage, this is bigger than that. You could feel that everybody moved closer, closer to the stage, their attention moved closer to the stage. That's what gave it power. It wasn't about us, it was about all of us. And then when other employers came in and took it and did it at their company, it was their, what they said is saying, yeah, that this works for people with disabilities, yeah, they, they perform and they work safer, I like all that. I want this culture. I remember uh, Steve Szilagyi was my counterpart at Lowe's, and our CEOs wanted us to do exchange a visit to each other's centers. And I didn't have any interest in seeing a Lowe's center, and, I, and my counterpart didn't really care about seeing a Walgreens center. So he calls me up, like, like, we, like we typically do as executives, try to get to know each other and arrange a, this trip. And I said, I'll tell you what, you do your tour there and let me know what you think and then I'll talk about coming down in see years. And, and, and I said, you're going to see technology that you don't use for, you move stuff, lumber and everything. We ain't got like that. We got, we got drugs and, and toilet paper that you guys don't have. So don't, tell me what you think about it. And I expect to get a call from him maybe a month later. He called me as he was leaving the building. And, I, and he says, I saw it, I got it, and I want it. And then they launched their own, own process too. And other companies, Pepsi, Toyota, there's, it's a longer list now. That includes Best Buy, Procter & Gamble, UPS, Starbucks, AT&T, Apple, and more. I remember one of the CEOs came and he asked, I've seen all this good stuff. What's a, I know there's gonna be a bad day here. What's a bad day like? And I thought, oh, you know, every attorney's supposed to know what every question is gonna be at. It's, I'd never heard that question, I was, and I was wondering what the, what the managers were going to say. So here's what the manager said. Well, a bad day here is when I come in with all my problems and I'm mad. Have you ever had a day when you want you want to kick the dog before you get to work? He said, when I when I come in when I come in with my problems, one of three things is going to happen. People, uh, people are going to come up to me, my, my, my team members are going to come up to me, and some of them are going to say, 
why are you being a jerk? Some of them are going to shut down. And some people are going to come up and hug me. So I know when I'm here, it's not about me, it's about us. And I thought, that encapsulates the whole spirit of this thing. I just happen to be at the right spot at the right time. I'm no, there's no magic in this. I mean, that's the magic. The magic is Austin opened my eyes to all this. I remember reading some, uh, what was the story? It was a Zen story. I, I wrote, I put it in a book because it was, it was really true. The, do you remember it? The, uh, disciple and the master were walking along and the disciple says, why am I doing all these spiritual exercises? Will they make me enlightened? And the master says, well, it's about as much as you can make the sunrise. So the disciple says, well, then why am I doing this? And the master says, so you'll be awake when the sun does rise. Uh, lucky for me, I was awake when the sun did come up and saw the opportunity and acted. That's what I'm most grateful for. So when you come on, you start this initiative that you're going to start one facility, one facility in Anderson, South Carolina. Yep. And it's going to have 33% of the employees are going to have disabilities. But then it wasn't just this one facility. It's expanded and it's grown and it has actually become part of Walgreens DNA with overall hiring uh, goals and objectives. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yes, I mean, what uh, we, th we thought it was going to be the technology that made this special building. And we realized it wasn't the technology, it was the will to do it. And so, and, we, and all the other managers saw it in the other buildings, and so it spread through all the traditional buildings. So it wasn't about the magic of technology. Uh, and even stores got excited about it, too. I remember, I think it was our annual reports on the, on the front of it about 2008 or so, and the, uh, and the aspiration was to have 10% of the all-new hires in the stores of, of the clerks to be people with disabilities, and that has continued, although not the pace. That, you know, it's a little harder in the stores than it is in a big center where you have all that kind of support. But the, the commitment is still there and it's still growing. And what makes it better is uh, all, all the people that have come and launched their own and are fostering other companies. So the whole thing, the whole purpose of this thing is for not to be, and Walgreens is kind of part of the old memory now. And there's, there's satisfaction in that, because that we're not that unique today, that it it's becomes the common thing. That's when nobody remembers Walgreens, then it was a, a success, and assuming that more people are hired. It, we just happen to be, again, right spot at the right time. And because you had a son with autism. Right, so lucky me. It's amazing. <laughs> people always want to know, well, how did it work out? And I have to say, well, if I'm here, it had to be good. <laughs> so, but. 
you know, our objective was that people would be able to perform as well, perform as well. So we studied the data. And people with disabilities perform as well. And we've done that at a lot of other companies too, and they have the same, they have the same experience. People with disabilities perform as well or better. The other issue is uh, safety. When you start hiring people with safety, people start talking about, oh, we got all these hazards around here, stuff like that. Our data says people with disabilities work safer. Our cost of workman's comp is less for people with disabilities than it is with typically able people. People ask me, well, how can that be? And we've discovered that, we've researched it. The reason people with disabilities work safer is they follow the rules. That's how it happens. In matter of fact, most of our teacher, most of our safety coaches in our centers are people with disabilities because they do it consistently and they do it completely on the training. Safety is better. Performance, good or better. And we get into absenteeism and retention, no comparison. No comparison. Retention is twice as good. Absenteeism is half of what, half or less than what it is for the typically able workforce. There's a lot of uh, of absenteeism during COVID. I was talking to Sephora, who has taken the Walgreens model and, and doing it across all its centers, just like Bed Bath and Beyond is doing right now. And their data had 20, they said during COVID, they had 20% absenteeism among the typically able workforce and 2% for people with disabilities. And this, all other employers have found this and they're saying, they're now calling it the loyal workforce. That's a term that's being used in the disability community. This is a workforce that shows up when other people won't. And we had that happen from the get-go. When, when we started this, I would have never done it had it been to try to find Austin a job. I, I would not use my influence to do that. That would be self-serving. So we didn't have any distribution centers near us. And one of the companies who came was Meyer. And uh, I had been making speeches about this and I was at a conference and I had not read uh, Rick Keyes, who's now the president of Meyer. He had the same job as me, head of supply chain. And uh, a group of us are talking and he said, you know, uh, I heard you speak on this before, and uh, we did it. We decided to do it. I went, wow, you did it without, you didn't call me? He says, no, it just sounded like a good idea, so we started doing it. I went, wow, that's incredible. And so that we started up a friendship, and uh, I would have this meeting. I do still have this meeting, like 10 years. I bring executives into my home over, I have a, we have a cottage. And we have what we call a beach day. And we, we sit around and share ideas and all this kind of stuff. And Rick's come every year, even though if he's president, he's come every year. And so probably set, it was seven years ago, Rick called me up and he says, we're opening up a center right up there on the border of the Illinois border in Wisconsin. And if uh, 
I don't know where you live, how close that is, but if uh, Austin can get there, we have a job for him. So Austin has had seven years of perfect attendance working at a Myers Distribution Center, something that I would have never dreamed of happening. He drives almost an hour each way. He works the uh, second shift, uh, loves it, has friends. Sometimes he meets a friend up there, goes to a, a movie with him on, uh, in the afternoon, on their days off. Something I would have never, ever dreamed of. And I tell Rick, uh, and I've told him personally, he has no idea the impact he's had. And I've, I've told him, I said, you know, a friend will help you move. I'll help you move a body. That's how important that is. <laughs> the, the impact that he's had on our family. My last question for you is about Illinois. So this podcast is around the idea of why, why stay and fight? And here's somebody who's a native of Texas, but somebody who's stayed in Illinois and is continuing to stay in Illinois. Why do you stay and fight here and why is it important? What's, what's, not, what's not here that I need? I, I, I live near a great city. I have, I have friends. I have, I, have a, I have a wonderful life. Yeah, taxes, on tax, but Dad uh, talks about April 15th. Call, he called it Republican Day because nobody likes paying taxes. But we have the most beautiful scenery the, I get to see green stood just brown flat. I got the most. I got the biggest water. In the Great Lakes next to me. What could be? What could be better? I, I don't. I don't know what to say. I don't know what would drive me away. I wish I were closer to family. But I can't imagine a, a better place. And all my family still stayed in Texas. And uh, they would always ask me, are you going to come back? And I said, our life is there. Life is in Illinois. And we're glad to be here. It's been a great decision. Yeah, that's wonderful. And the opposite side of the, side of the spectrum, you see people move away, right? That they lived here and they built their lives. They built careers. They've, they've built communities. They've built friendships. And then they move away and it's gone. Right, these big investments that you made inside of your life, they disappear, right? Because you're gone from the state. Exactly, and then that's what we 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 thought too. If you move, you got to have a whole new relationship because what makes life worth living is not not all the things you have, and it's not the bank account, or at least I've discovered, it's your friends and the relationships. It's it's beautiful. It's good people. You find the diversity we have up here. The challenges. It's all part of life. It's not about winning. It's about living. Amen. Well said. Well, Randy Lewis wrote the book, No Greatness Without Goodness. You can get it on Amazon. It is a fantastic book. I loved reading it. In fact, I read it in one day. It was so good. Uh, and Randy, let me say, as an uncle of two nephews who both have Down syndrome, uh, thank you for what you've done in changing the stigma behind disabilities by showing 
through example that there are opportunities, that there is dignity through work, and I personally am grateful. So thank you very much. Thank you. And if you like this episode, share it with your friends and subscribe so that you don't miss out on the next one. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time on Stay and Fight.